Last week, we had incredible apostolic input. And, and before I go to the Word, I just want to highlight, so it's kind of like four points that our international leader, Pastor Steve, said to us. And he shared four signs of a healthy church. And as I share this, don't go like, yes, is every nation that? Ask the question, am I like that? Because we are the church. So the first thing that he shared was that a healthy church has got a relational discipleship culture. Note the word culture. It's not about a program, but it's about believers, every one of us, having a heart for the lost. It's about every one of us taking the time and trouble to share Jesus with people who have just come to the Lord and to bring them to maturity. It's fine that we've got apps. It's awesome that we've got a website. All those things are good. But ultimately, a healthy church is when every single one of us as believers takes personal responsibility to see the kingdom advance, to make disciples. So that's the first point. Second point that he shared was a healthy church, or signs of a healthy church, is that we've got empowered leadership, empowering leadership. And we've got some exciting things happening in the next month or so, which you'll hear about in future. But the culture that we want is a yes culture. If you want to start a connect group, we're saying yes but that requires you to say, give me more. Give me more opportunities. Give me more responsibility, and I'll be faithful in that. Thirdly, a healthy church has got a global mission and vision. May it not be that the little circle that we draw around ourselves is very small. May it be the circle that we draw is not just our church, but it's the churches in the city, it's South Africa, and it's the world. Some of you are called to go to the nations. All of us are called to pray for the nations. Some of us are called to sow our finances that people might go to the nations. And may we carry this in the church. And then lastly, a biblical worship theology. Now, what I'm going to share with you about this is no criticism of the amazing people who stand at the front here. Not at all. It's not talking about them. It's talking about all of us. So hear me carefully. Steve spoke about Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher of the 19th century. He describes the theater of worship. And he says, consider worship. There's a stage. There's performers, you know, those who've got microphones and maybe they've got an instrument. There's a director. Maybe that's Belinda. Maybe that's me. And there's an audience, all of us. Or everybody standing that side, seated that side. And he says, this is wrong. We've got a wrong perspective. And I agree with him. And he says the following. Soren Kierkegaard says the following, that the stage is from the moment that you drive onto the precinct. That's the stage. So we're all on the stage, every single one of us. It's when you greet somebody, when you hug somebody, when you pray for a mom who's standing up, when you do kids' ministry, when you do, do door greeting, when you're an usher, everything is the stage. And the performers, you know who the performers are? Every one of us. Every single Christian. And this changes things completely. Instead of going like, well, I didn't enjoy what they did today. The question is, how did you worship God? So it's not about you rating five out of 10, six out of 10. It's did you worship the Lord? Were you that performer? And the director is not me or Belinda. You know who the director is? The Holy Spirit. And are you following the Holy Spirit's lead? And the audience is not you and I. You know who the audience is? It's God. God is the audience. And that changes everything. So I pray that we would just meditate on this, that we consider when we come here, and you know, it's not just when we come here, but it's when we go out there, Monday through to Saturday, that everything is a stage, 
where we are playing to the audience of one, being directed by the Holy Spirit. All of us are performers, and our life is a stage. Amen. We begin a new sermon series called The King's Letter, and is the book called The Song of Solomon, often translated as The Song of Songs, The Song of All Songs. Solomon wrote over a thousand songs, it says in Two Kings, but this one is described as The Song of All Songs. What is it about? It's about the mystery and the marvel of love and of marriage. How incredible it is. It's about the beauty and the sanctity, the purity of sex. Sex is a good thing. And we're not going to talk about sex or marriage, particularly in the next three weeks. We have in times past spoken about it. But it's all through this book, which is amazing. It's rich. It's textured. It's sensual. It's all five senses. And then thirdly, it's the silhouette, the outline of our Savior and the church. Now, there are two or three main characters in this book, depending on how you interpret it. The one interpretation is Solomon as the king who also identifies himself as the shepherd. So he's saying, look, I may be a king, but who I really am is a shepherd. So it's him as the king shepherd and the Shulamite woman who just captures his heart. The other interpretation is that it's a love triangle, that there's Solomon who tries to draw the Shulamite woman away. So in this case, Solomon is a type of the world, temptation, what I can offer you, and she stays true to her shepherd love. Doesn't affect this particular reading that we're going to go to today, but you can look at it yourself, and I encourage you, it is a rich book, it is a deep book, it is fantastic. We're going to read Song of Songs 2. 10 to 15. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its fruit, and the, va- the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one. And come away. This is the beloved speaking to the Shulamite woman. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. There's an incredible story of a Presbyterian preacher in 1859. Thomas Thornwell, who had one daughter, and her name was Nancy. She got engaged and was due to get married, and hundreds of people, instead of coming to her wedding, ended up coming to her funeral. Just before she was due to be married, she passed away from cholera, had a very rapid demise. The minister was standing at the daughter's bedside in her her waning moments, and he said to her, Oh, my dear daughter, such a tragedy. And she replied, this young girl, or young woman rather, Father, do not weep. I know my Savior. And he said, but this was to be your wedding, your whole life now before you. And she, with far greater maturity, said, Father, but now I go to a greater groom that I am prepared to meet. And she was buried. She never got married. She was buried in her wedding gown, and on the tombstone it said, 
as a bride prepared for her groom. And as we look at this book, may we see it from that perspective that Jesus is the bridegroom and we, the church, are the bride. Now, the first thing that we see here is that the groom, the shepherd, appeals both to the will, the mind, and the emotions. The passage that we've just read. He calls to her and gives her choice. Do you know God gives you choice as to how much of him you will have? Constantly, God says, choose you this day who you will serve. You can have as much of God or as little of God as you want. Come unto me. Jesus calls us. But do we recognize that we are responding every day, every moment, by what we're saying and by what we're doing? The second thing, he, 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 he appeals to the mind, the logic, the reason, if you will. Isaiah 1 verse 18, God says, come, let us reason together. And he says to her, leave behind this place and come to a better place. Leave behind this dark winter of your life and come into this new season, the season of fruit and life. Jesus wants us to have life and life abundantly. The question is, will we choose it? Now, it's a no-brainer, actually. Do you want to stay sick and tired? <laughs> or do you want to choose life and life abundantly? And then lastly, God is emotional. He made emotions. And he engages us emotionally. He says, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your prayers. I want to be in relationship with you. God is not aloof at a distance. He's not that distant God. Okay? He is close He's that friend that walks closer to a brother, and he is emotional, and he wants our hearts and our emotions. Now, if we consider the scripture, the first thing that we need to bear in mind is she is remembering what her groom, what her lover said to her. What words do you carry in your heart from what people have said to you? What words have defined you? Are there words of negativity? Are there people saying to you, you'll never mind for something? Are there negative words? The Bible says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. The words that the Shulamite remembers are these words. She proclaims, my lover, my beloved says to me, what words have been spoken over you? What words are you carrying in your heart that give you identity? I love this. He says to her, you are my love, my beautiful one. Personally, I've, I've wrestled at times with living in the revelation of the love of God. And you know what? It's a big deal. It's a huge deal because if you don't live with a sense of God's love for you, you actually don't grasp the gospel. You don't understand the gospel. And you will move towards trying to Please God or just move away from God. It's important that we grow in the knowledge of the love of God. And Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 prays that the church would understand, would have a revelation of how deep and wide and high is the love of God. It is of great importance that we grow in this, that we grow in the revelation of the love of God, that we recognize that he is holy and he is powerful and he is mighty and yet he is good and he's crazy about us. You know, when I first saw Nicola, she was doing the overhead projector. 
Some of you don't know what that is, okay? Imagine this thing, but ancient, okay? And she was running it at the front. And, um, and she doesn't mind me saying this. She was like 19, 20, and she had pimples. But I saw through all of that. I saw through everything. I said, and for me, she was just like stunningly beautiful. And she is. I mean, she is. Don't anybody disagree with me? <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. God sees through the mess of your life. He sees through your mistakes. He sees through your faults. He sees through the things that you don't like about yourself. He sees through it all, and he says, I love you. I love you. I love you. And this is what he wants to speak to you. He wants to say, you are my beloved. And, and the only question is, will you allow him to be that? Will you allow him to love you? Will you allow his touch upon your life? Tim Keller says the following. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. We are fallen. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. This changes everything. When we realize that God loves us, not because of efforts that we do, but we've been made in his image. And he loved us so much that he made us. And then even when man fell and we sinned, he sent his son to redeem us. Now, often there's barriers, these barriers in us that stop us from receiving God's love. One of them is being stuck in a painful past. I don't know what your life was growing up. Your parents, I don't know what your life is like now. But often our past holds us back. And it's so important that we allow the word and the spirit and people to minister to us so we can overcome this barrier and receive again the love of God. Secondly, second barrier is we put ourselves above God. And let me explain this. Have you ever said this to yourself? I will never forgive myself. You know, by doing that, you're saying, you know, even though the Father sent the Son to die for my sins and He's willing to forgive me, I put myself above God. I put myself above the, the work of Jesus. Don't make these kind of silly vows where you put yourself above God. But be humble, be grateful, and receive the love of God. How many times should we forgive somebody in one day? Seven times? Seventy times seven in one day we forgive our brother and sister. How much more will Jesus forgive us if we repent, if we cry out to him? Receive the love of God. Don't put yourself above God. Thirdly, a barrier to receiving God's love is very simply prayerlessness and wordlessness. By us not spending time with him, by, him not, by us not giving him moments to speak to our hearts through the word and through prayer, we get to a place where we don't feel, we don't sense the love of God. And simply us not dating Jesus. It's simply us not spending time with him. And so we feel outside of the love of God. And experientially, we are that because we're not spending time in prayer and we're not spending time in the Word. Fourthly, not being in community. Being in relationship brings healing to our soul. Jesus himself, after having the angels minister to him in the Garden of Gethsemane, even then, even then, he needed his brothers and sisters. In this case, it was just his brothers around him. We need people to minister Jesus. It's not just the vertical, it's the horizontal as well. To fully receive the love of God, we receive it in community with those around us. 
Next, holding grudges and bitterness. If we are unwilling to let go of offenses, if we are unwilling to forgive, if we hold bitterness in our hearts against people or against people groups, whatever, we pull ourselves outside of the love of God. At the start of the service, we prayed to our Father, and we said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we are called to forgive those wrongs. God is just. God is fair. It's not for us, but to hold bitterness against people because this shuts down the love of God from our hearts. Next, persisting in unbelief. Being unbelieving, not believing the word, will keep us outside of the love of God. And not being repentant, not turning from what we're doing, will also keep us outside of being that beloved one. And then lastly, simply being too busy. Remember Jesus tells the parable about the sower, sows the seed. And some seed doesn't grow for that simple reason of the busyness of life crowds it out. Let us not be so busy with so many other unnecessary things that we're not in a place to receive the love of God. Next, he says to her, arise, stand up. Just in praying for you, in praying for this word, God wants to say to some of you, arise, stand up, stand up, arise from your time of defeat, arise from your hurt, Arise from that place of being pressed down. Arise from this place that you're in. Arise from living a subgrade life. Some of you are living a life so outside of the joy and the fullness and the adventure that God has for you. And the Spirit of God is saying, arise. Step up. Step up into what God has for you. Don't stay in this place of, you know, this isn't much fun. And it's not much fun sitting on the fence. It's actually very painful if you sit on a barbed wire fence. But arise from this place and come into the fullness. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance. No, repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry. It is that. That's the start of it. But repentance is changing the way you think and you were facing this way and now you're walking in a completely different way. The devil, you know what he wants to say to you? He wants to either tell you that you are awesome and sinless and you don't need God, or he wants to tell you you are so bad that you might as well just continue doing what you're doing. Worldly sorrow keeps you pressed down, keeps you in a place of depression, keeps you in a place of condemnation. But godly sorrow, true sorrow, causes you to turn around and to follow after God. Paul writes, to the church, and he says, awake, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Some of us are in a place of sleepiness. Some of us, even as Christians, are, a place, are in a place of deadness, and this is not the will of God or the plan of God for your life. St. Patrick wrote what was described as St. Patrick's shield, which I love, and I've just given you an excerpt of it. He says, I arise today through a mighty strength. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look upon me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me. Goes on to say, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right and Christ on my left, 
Christ, when I lie down, Christ, when I sit down, Christ, when I arise, I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Will you arise and be the man that God has called you to be? Will you arise, woman, and be that princess, that mighty woman that God has called you to be? Will we arise today? God has called us to stand up. And you know what? It's your choice. It's your choice. He calls us. He says, don't choose second-rate, subgrade living, but arise. These are the words that she remembers. These are the words that the Shulamite woman remembers. She remembers that she's loved and that she's beautiful. And she remembers the words of her beloved saying, arise. And then he hears her saying to her, come away. Come away with me. I've got to tell you what happened to me and Nicola in the early days of our courting. She didn't realize that we were courting, but I knew very well that we were courting. <laughs> so I arrived at um, her res. She was studying at Wits. I think she was third year at that particular time and arrived in the lounge. I think there were two girls there. And there were like five guys. And they were all like, it was like a dog show. Guys, you know what I mean? It's like every guy's trying to impress her, you know? And I'm like, I'm not going to compete on this level. I'm going to use some asymmetrical warfare, you know? I'm not going to do, the, I'm not going to go head on against this. So I stayed for like 10 minutes. And then I said to Nicola, why don't you just walk me to the car, please? Just come away with me. And then we just stayed at the car and must have spoken for over an hour. And it was so awesome. I was not going to compete head on. I was going to say, listen, either you be with them, but come away with me. <laughs> and that was the start of a beautiful romance, which we continue on today. But let me tell you this. If I had stayed there, it would have just been some competition. Now, she said, her story is that she liked me already, you know. So, <laughs> Amen. That, that, that's just an illustration. God is saying to us, come away from these things which are idols in your life. Come away from these things which take your passion away from me. And if you're honest, you know what they are. For some of you, it's television. Some of you, it's relationships. 2 Corinthians 6 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Do not be tied together with those who don't love God. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? As God had said, I will live with them and walk with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. You cannot fully have God and, and have the world. God is saying to some of you, come out. You can't continue in this place of being unequally yoked just doesn't work. You can't have these idols. You can't have these relationships. You can't have these things in your life and yet say, you know, I fully love God. James 4 verse 4 says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? It's in opposition to God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, I'm not saying you can't reach out and love people in the world for the sake of touching them with the gospel and witnessing to them and come to making disciples for that. And we'll explain that in detail. 
come to our Making Disciples course. What I'm talking about here is your affection and your heart and your identity. And why are you in these things? And why are you in these relationships? If this is for, for your joy and for your fulfillment, God is saying, you end up loving the world and not loving me. I'm so glad that I said to Nicola, come away with me, and that she responded. The question is, as God says to you, come away, will you come away? Or will you sit and straddle on the fence and be in this awkward place? And what does God promise? What does the, group, what, what does the bridegroom promise? He says, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come. He promises us life and life in abundance. It's a no-brainer. Why would we not choose this amazing life that God has for us? And then lastly, they end on the following. Catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Sometimes we start with God, and we're doing well, and we're enjoying God, and then we allow little things. Fox number one, bitterness of the soul. Some offense comes in. Fox number two, bickering of the saints. We allow disunity in our midst. Fox number three, we start to see ourselves as more important than others. Fox number four, we speak with criticism and we speak attitudes and opinion. We don't bridle our tongue. And then fox number five, and the most serious one of all, is we bar or resist the Holy Spirit. You know, the scripture says that's the ultimate sin. That's the one sin that can't be forgiven, is if we resist the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because if you resist the Spirit, then when He calls you to repent, when He calls you to follow after Him, when He calls you to do certain things, you will not follow. So having started in God, having begun by following your bridegroom, now you start to allow little foxes to destroy you. He says, don't let the little foxes destroy the vineyard. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. Take that cross and follow. Follow me. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I will go with him all the way. Let's stand on our feet as we pray. For some of you, you need to hear the Holy Spirit, Him saying, you are my beloved, I love you. You need to hear His words that you are awesome, that He sees past the mess of your life, and He loves you. For some of you, you need to hear, and you need to respond and say, yes, Lord, I arise. I take responsibility for my life. I hear you, Holy Spirit, and I step up, and I step out of I step off the television couch. I step off the bed and I step up to fulfill the calling upon my life. Some of you hear the Holy Spirit and He's saying, come, come away. Come away from those things. Lord, we look to you now for grace. Speak to every heart, wherever they are, Lord God. Lord, whether it's little foxes in their lives, Lord, whether it's sin, whether they need to step outside of stuff, whether it's identity, 
Lord, we look to you now to come and to minister and to speak, Father God. Speak to every heart. Pray for fresh manna to every soul. Lord, you'd meet every person right where they are and give them what they need. We ask this and agree on it in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen and amen.